it's been really hands-off with the long-term tenants because what we're getting is people that are coming here to work during the week and then they go home on weekends. So it's like, are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey guys, Sarah Larby here. Welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? Super excited to have you guys back for another week. And uh, depending on how things are, it's uh, mid-March right now. This is probably going to release at some point in April. I don't know what the future holds, but I will say this is not a time to panic. And at the end of the day, things will go down, things will come up. And in the long run, we'll forget about this. Just like when SARS came, it was, it was not as bad, granted, but I mean, we haven't talked about it for years. And it was scary at that point in time, just like this is scary now. But in five years from now, 10 years from now, it's not going to be something that we are going to be as fearful of as of today. So this could be a great opportunity, a great opportunity to get out there and get some good off-market opportunities or also some opportunities on MLS that you're not competing with tons of offers. So I would say hang in there. This is a good opportunity even just to say, I need to build a buffer should this happen again, a better buffer, three months, six months. How long can you go if your tenants stop paying rent, if the mortgages were still due, if you still had bills to pay? get you know a good buffer going. So real estate, I think ultimately is still the way to go. You still have your mortgage pay down. You know, if appreciation does go down, it'll come back up over over the years. We never bank on appreciation and you'll still get some cash flow. So hang in there guys. Don't panic. Things will get better and we'll return to normal at some point in the future. So on that note guys, hope you enjoy this interview. I had Monica. If you have followed me on Instagram or have Instagram, you might have seen her. She does a lot of her own renos. Momo's Home is uh, her Instagram handle and we talk about it as well. Very, very talented. She really started with just nothing in terms of money, but really did what she needed to do, figured out how to do her own renos and built equity in the properties. So she has a really great story, millennial, just making things happen with the right mindset. So I'm super excited to have her on the show for today. And, you know, despite what happens out there, guys, it's just about mindset, right? 95% is mindset. So the economy goes to shit. Hey, you know what? It is what it is. We're all in the same boat, but let's just not freak out. And let's look at the, the end of the tunnel, which is going to be upward momentum. So let's take advantage of not every single person being in the market at this point in time, like it was in January, February, and part of March. So on that note, guys, enjoy the podcast. Hey, Monica, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Excellent. I'm super excited. So I originally noticed what you were doing and uh, all the work that you were doing hands-on on Instagram, and I started following you and just really loved, you know, your um, ability to showcase and also do, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm big at delegating and I'm not like very um, good with my hands. <laughs> uh, and I thought it was just so awesome to see. And I'm like, you have to be on my podcast. So thanks for coming on. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Good. So for those of you listening at home uh, and you want to check out her Instagram, it's at momos underscore home underscore so m-o-m-o-s underscore h-o-m-e underscore so tell us a little bit about you and what you do when it comes to real estate 
So I'm from Ottawa and I got started about five years ago when I purchased my first home. I was living in the home and I had rented out the other rooms and I spent like fixing the house up. I really liked working hands-on and being creative and so that's how I got started and I didn't have a lot of like pre-experience when I got into it so I was watching YouTube videos and reading forums and that's how I learned and I just took it one project at a time. Yep. Very cool. So you learned how to do everything from YouTube videos? Yeah, everything from YouTube videos. And it started out with very simple projects. And then as I kept going, it got more complicated. So for the first house, it was a lot of cosmetic stuff. And then when I was done with that house, I sold it and I purchased the house that I'm living in right now. And it was a complete gut. Like I walked in and took everything out, kitchen, bathroom, all of that. So that was a lot more complicated than the first part, which was just kind of like painting and replacing some floorings. I actually took out some load bearing walls here and I had to take out permits. And then once the upstairs was done, I put a legal unit into the basement. And again, that was more complicated because I had to start doing like fire ratings and learning different like, construction processes and like really starting from scratch. And uh, yeah, so it just kept going from there. <laughs> Started easy and then kept working into more and more complicated stuff. Very cool. So are you working on these projects by yourself or do you have people that you also have, you know, handyman, plumbers, electricians, or is this really hands-on you doing it from start to finish? I do like 95% of the work myself and I've hired out. So the load bearing walls, I hired that workout because it's very hard. <laughs> and I hired out like plumbing rough-ins and major electrical work. Some of the electrical and like small plumbing jobs I can do myself, but like the bigger ones that need like a full rough in, I hire that workout. And uh, my boyfriend's actually a plumber, so <laughs> that's pretty convenient. We met just before the basement renovation, so he did the rough in there. And the my like friend from high school that was renting at the last house and rented a room here, he's an electrician, so <laughs> it uh, was good to have him around when I needed help with that stuff. So you're well connected. So I'm I'm interested in the financials. Can we walk through? you know, how much that you, for example, your first property, how much money it cost initially, and then how much your rentals cost and timelines, and, uh, and then what you do after if you refi them. So let, let's walk through like from start to finish your first property. Sure. Yeah. So my first property, I was just getting started very poor. <laughs> so I bought a house, it was about 300,000 and I put 5% down. So it's about $15,000. And when I was done with everything, I only had about $3,000 in my bank account. So very little money to start out with, with the renovation. So I did everything budget and was using Kijiji and borrowing tools and like anything I could to save money. So I don't think at that time I was really like tracking my costs because I wasn't thinking about it as an investor. I was just like, oh, this is cheap and I need to do it. And so I would guess that I put about maybe 15,000 in material in. Even doing the work yourself, material for construction is very expensive and getting the tools is very expensive. You really save in the labor. So it took me about two and a half years to fix that house up. I was just going slowly like evenings and weekends and living there. And uh, so after the two and a half years, I sold it for $350,000. And I also had, I had paid down some of my mortgage. So that gave me enough money to put 70000 as a down payment for this house. I bought it for 350000 And it's a small bungalow, a thousand square feet. And it has the entrance to the side to go to do the second unit. So that's why I liked this house. But again, after I put the 20% down, which was required by the bank, I only had about $700 in my account getting started. So I had to pull out a line of credit. And I would say like for the basement unit, as an example, I spent $40,000 on that 
to, to put it in, where if I had hired the workout, it would probably be closer to $100,000. So you really do save, but it took me eight months to complete the project and I was working in Halifax at the time. So it was like hard. <laughs> so there was back and forth. So was this property in Ottawa as well? Uh, yeah, this property is in Ottawa as well. And after all the renovations were done, so it was about 30,000 upstairs and 40,000 downstairs, so 70,000 in total, the house was reevaluated at 515. And I refinanced it and got about 130,000 back. And that one went as a down payment to for the next house. Do you have that next house yet or not? Yeah, I just purchased it in December and it was 387000 which is a lot higher than the first two, but the prices in Ottawa have been skyrocketing. So it was still a steal in the market right now, whereas like it was only in the last like two, three years that the prices have seen like double digit increases. We've always been like really stable. So there was not a lot of change between like the first house, the second house, and then the third house. I was like, oh, I got to start moving. <laughs> Absolutely. So now, okay, so the first house you sold, is that correct? Yeah. And then the second house you still have? Yeah, I live upstairs and I rent the basement on Airbnb. Awesome. And then the third house, what's your plan with the third one? I did a quick renovation there in just two months and it's rented right now. Okay, so you're essentially, you're burring them. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. <laughs> so I want to talk about Airbnb as well for Ottawa. So I bought this property in Burlington and it was... Uh, you know, very old house, but it had good bones and it was very dated. So we, we put in a lot of money. So unlike you, I'm not very handy. And uh, so I hired a contractor who does a good job, but it costs a lot more money, obviously, like um, <laughs> what you're spending. But I think what we're going to do uh, is originally we were going to move into it and then Airbnb our Oakville house. But I think we're going to stay in Oakville now. And we just decided this yesterday and mm -hmm. Airbnb, the Burlington house. And I actually really enjoy Airbnb, but how does Airbnb... How is that in Ottawa, in the Ottawa market? And what are you getting a night? And, uh, you know, walk us through that piece and how you're managing it. Well, it's a bit different here now. They just put in restrictions where you can only rent out rooms in your house and you can't rent out second dwelling units. And I didn't like it at first because, of course, we're doing all the work ourselves. So it's like cleaning it every time somebody left. We were getting about 1500 a month, like with renting it like one or two nights at a time. But it was so time consuming to always be cleaning it. So we only did that for the first two months. And then I changed it. So they have to have one month stay minimum. We're really close to a hospital here. So I was thinking we'd get residents in. And after that, we've been renting it like month by month. So we only have to clean it once a month. And that's been really good. But uh, yeah, it's just cha it's changed recently with the new regulations. So if people in Ottawa are, are interested in changing, they can do month long stays and it's under the 28 days. So it's not considered a short term rental. And you can still put it on Airbnb that way. Very cool. Yeah, I guess you just got to be careful with the whole tax thing and the HST and, and all of that. But you know, I'm not yeah. an accountant, but definitely check with your accountant on how that works. Oakville has uh, implemented some of those items as well. Like it has to be your primary residence. And then there's like a licensing fee that you've got to pay. So I'm like, I'm just going to live in Oakville and I'll just do it in Burlington. <laughs> it's a, I don't know. I mean, you know, why not? So at the end of the day, what are you getting for your Airbnb if you're renting it by month versus just a long-term tenant? 1500 still. So if you were to rent it, if you were to rent it long-term, how much would you get there? I'd say maybe 1200, 1300. So you get a little extra by doing the short term furnished. Okay. Awesome. 
and uh, and how because you're living in it. How are you managing it? Like, if they are they asking you a lot of questions? Is it? I mean, I have an Airbnb cottage as well. Like, because there's a lot of people thinking like this is pretty cool, but it probably is going to be a lot more work. What are your thoughts on that? It's been really hands off with the long term tenants because what we're getting is people that are coming here to work during the week and then they go home on weekends. So it's like always quiet on the weekends. We hardly hear from them. Usually they're working a lot and you know, they haven't been uh, asking too many questions or <laughs> too demanding. So it's been really nice. Awesome. You know, there's also a need for, and I was talking, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. There's a lot of people, unfortunately, that will have like floods or fires and then they have to move somewhere and the insurance pays it out. So like in Burlington, Oakville, as an example, like if you rent out something short term, you're looking at anywhere between 150 to 250 a night, depending on what it is, of course. But that could be six, 7,000 a month. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. And so that actually, the way that we're going to set it up is if that's the case, even on you know, a 15-day or half vacancy, mm-hmm. I would still be better off to do it with Airbnb than to do it long-term. Yeah. That's true. And it's nice, even if you're renting it month by month, that after they leave, you have the option to increase your prices. You're not stuck. It's going up here and you don't want to miss out on that or have someone locked in for years at a something below market rate. I think you said it too. Like that's, I think that's the problem with Ontario is we have so many rules and regulations that are pro tenant and against landlords in in a sense, right? If they don't pay, I mean, it takes you a long time. I mean, obviously do the paperwork correctly, but the courts are so backed up. And actually speaking of this backing up, like depending on when this airs, the coronavirus, I just read yesterday that the landlord tenant board was shut down until further notice. I'm like, oh my God, you know, like I get it, but could they not do something like virtually? (laughs) I don't know. Tenant doesn't pay. I mean, how much longer can they get away with this stuff? So exactly. And if they're not working because of COVID... And then they're not paying rent and you can't evict them because the board's closed. (laughs) Kind of screwed. (laughs) It's going to be interesting. I mean, this, you know, by the time that we're recording this, we are mid-March and, you know, it could, it could get worse before it gets better. But Mm. let's, uh, I, I would just say, regardless of what happens, this is actually a really good time if you have the cash be able to negotiate a little bit more on the purchases of the houses. What are your thoughts on, you know, the housing market in this type of time right now that we're living in? Yeah, I'd really like to get out and buy right now because it seems like everybody's staying home and they're preoccupied and they're in like, you know, safety mode, hoarding stuff going home. So uh, I think it'd be a good time to buy, probably be less competitive. But then at the same time, with interest rates going down, you probably have a lot of people trying to, you know, refinance, get the money you buy now because it's so cheap. So yeah. it could go either way. It could like put prices higher or it could uh, put less buyers out there. It'd be interesting to see how it plays out. <laughs> Time will tell, but at the end of the day, fast forward two years and this will be like SARS. Like, you know, we don't really ever think of SARS and next year it'll be something else and the next year it'll be something else again. So this is a, could, this could be good, a good window though, not to have three to 20 offers on every single property. So yeah. good time to buy. Don't panic. Stay out of the fray as Don Campbell says. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So I want to go back a little bit to your do-it-yourself projects. Walk us through like maybe one of the, the tougher projects that, that you did from, from start to finish and how that all went out. Well, went about. say the basement was probably the most complicated because it involved having, like I had to hire someone to do drawings that were code compliant, submit them to the city, get a permit, and then have a lot of inspections and 
do fire reading behind all the pot lights and make sure everything is <laughs> and then resilient channels, insulation, so you meet your sound rating. And uh, we had to cut in a window into the foundation because we didn't meet the lighting requirements. So that's part of the OBC is that you have to have a certain percentage of the floor space has natural lighting coming in. So we didn't have enough window space and that gets uh, complicated. <laughs> It does. Every city will have different requirements and lighting in certain rooms of the, the place is very important. And it's like a percentage of natural light that you want. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I think it's about five or 10% of the floor area, depending on if you're in a kitchen or a living room. And then the bedroom, you have to have an egress window. Actually, an egress window doesn't have to be in your bedroom, but you have to have like an egress window somewhere. So you have two exits. Very cool. Awesome. So if somebody wants to get started and do their own renovations, how would you suggest that they go about that? I'd say start with small stuff and work your way up. And when you're doing the renovations, if you're planning to rent it or sell it later, try not to put too much of your personal <laughs> style into it and do things that are more like universally accepted. So like cleaning, brighten the space up. So get started on small stuff like painting and replacing maybe flooring in one room. One thing I love to do in the house is replace all the baseboard. It's, you know, can do a little bit of carpentry, it's fun, but it also makes the place look so much better and more modern because they're often neglected. You can change out light switches too into the decor ones, which is like a little easy electrical project, changing out light fixtures from the old ones into like LED lighting is a good one. So go from there. And then if you want to get more complicated, you can start doing tiling and start with a backsplash and then maybe do your bathroom. Okay. All right. Very cool. Is, is there anything that you will not touch? Uh, nope. <laughs> no. I really love learning and I really love working with my hands. So there's times where I'm like, oh, I probably should hire this out. Like the roof and windows are coming up and I know it's something that it would be easier to hire it out, but I really want to do it myself. So I'm really, really excited for that. But electrical is something in the basement. We hired our friend to do the electrical for us electrical things mm -hmm. but I want to make sure that it's code compliant and it's expensive to go back and fix it and it can be dangerous if it's dangerous if it's not done properly and I didn't want to like plug into the panel <laughs> so so that stuff I'll stay away from and some major plumbing stuff awesome that's great I uh I'm very big on delegating because I'm I feel like if I touched the stuff I would probably <laughs> mess it up but uh but kudos to you I mean that's that's just so admirable to, that you don't need a whole lot of money to get started and you are proof, right? You just have to have the determination and the will to do it. How did you even come across wanting to, to do this in the first place? Well, I think it probably started when I was young. Like my parents did a, a lot of work at home, never major renovations, but I was always helping out with that. I remember when I was about like 13 years old, my dad had my sister and I shingling the roof on the shed because he had to go out and do errands or something. So I was always out there working and uh, I really enjoyed it. And so when I started in an office, I didn't like that at all. And I was also really drawn to getting into construction. So I ended up, you know, leaving my first job and then moving into a construction related field. And I just absolutely loved it. And it just like fit. And it was, I was happy to get up every day and go to work. And the same thing at the end of the day, going home, like, I just like, I'm so excited to go home and like keep working and see the progress. And it's nice when it's all done. And you can be proud of what you've accomplished and look around and be like, I built that. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I mean, it, it must be tough too, because this is not your full-time job. Like you still work full-time. And even when you were doing the second reno, you were in Halifax. Like how did you 
even manage to do all of that? Yeah, that was really tough. There's a lot of times where it wasn't fun at all. And I didn't want to keep going, but I had to because you're like halfway through a renovation and you know, you have to finish it and you need to get the rental income. That's like the end goal. Uh, but it was tough to push through that. And so it was just like a matter of like trying to stay positive and like keep in mind what what the end goal is and what what, what you're working so hard for. I am getting to a point now where I kind of want to start hiring out renovations because it's it's very physically demanding and it's exhausting, especially if you're working full time. And I just want to have more free time to do to do different things. So I think you do reach a point where if you want to scale up, you do have to start hiring it out because it's very time consuming. And so you can't grow as fast as you want to. It's, it's good at the start when you don't have a lot of money and you know, you have some free time on the evenings and weekends and you want to get started that way. And it's good to learn. But if you want to scale and, uh, and move a little faster, you do have to start hiring the workout. Yeah, but it, it is cool. I, there's lots of ways to get started. I mean, we first started with a $129,000 house from the 1850s that <laughs> was the cheapest thing we could find at that point in time. And then we moved from there. So, and we hired my father-in-law to, you know, I think he was like, I don't know, 20, 25 bucks an hour that we negotiated with him to help us <laughs> at, the, at the beginning. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it is, it is cool to see there's, there's no lack of resources if you're resourceful. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's so many different ways to get into real estate. And if you want to DIY it, then that is an option. If you like working with your hands and being creative, yep. you can do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. On that note, I uh, wanted to take a moment and thank you. But before we uh, we go, there is our lightning round questions. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, I'm going to ask you a series of five questions and you are going to give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself. And she's works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. 
If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com, or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com, and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. And now back to the show. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Uh, Well, when I first started, I actually read Real Estate for Dummies in Canada, which is like the very basic book of, you know, because I was like so overwhelmed with all the information out there. And it just like brings it down to the basics of like, what what are you able to buy? How do you purchase it? What are the costs going to look like? So that was a good starting book for the first house. And uh, right now I'm reading the, the Acre System by Don Campbell. And that one's very good. I think I heard about it on your podcast. So I went to go pick up a coffee and I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Both of those are great books. And I actually long, long ago too, read the Four Dummies book on uh, real estate. Yeah. Very easy. Well laid out. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Question number two, what is your favorite podcast? Uh, your podcast is actually the only one I listen to. <laughs> so, oh, right. yeah, so when we connected um, on social media, it's like I had heard about your podcast. I started listening to it. And uh, yeah, right now it's the only one I listen to. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's, it's guests like you that come in and share with the listeners that make it awesome. So thank you. <laughs> Number three, what's your favorite pastime? So what do you do for fun when it's not real estate or work? Yeah, <laughs> I'm so lame. I love renovations. <laughs> Before when people would ask me, what's your favorite things to do? It's like, oh, I love renovating and going home and doing projects. So that's definitely one of them. I also like doing yoga, reading books, hanging out with friends and family, the basics. When I'm tired of renovations, I like to go relax and read a book. Awesome. Well, you'll have more time once you start delegating, as you mentioned, right? Exactly. (laughs) I can't wait. I'm going to sit by the dock and just chill out. (laughs) Awesome. Number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? I'd take a very similar approach. I'd probably start with my primary residence 5% down and pick a house that I can convert to a duplex. So I'd live there and I'd turn it into a duplex and start from there and then refinance and keep going. Very cool. And last question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? Same answer as the last question. I think I'd start if they don't have a house, you know, use that ability to put less than 20% down and find a home where you can live there and then rent out the spaces that you're not using. Even if it has a garage, rent out the garage, like find any way to make money off that property. Amazing. On that note, thank you so much. How can listeners find out more about you if they did want to reach out? Well, they can reach out through Instagram. That's where I show most of the work and what I'm doing. I don't have any websites or anything. I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> What's your LinkedIn name? Uh, Monica Lascano. All right. And your Instagram name we talked about in the beginning as well, but do you want to just refresh your memories on your Instagram uh, handle? It's momos, M-O-M-O-S underscore home underscore. Awesome. Any final last words of advice, Monica, before we let you go? Yeah, I'd say for people that are getting started, just to enjoy the process, you know, roll with the punches and have fun while you're doing it because it's a long game and it can be really difficult. So keep positive and stick with it and you will see the results. It'll be worth it. 
Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a great guest on the show and uh, and all of your insights and information is absolutely 100% valuable and insightful. So thank you and uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time, they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that, and the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked, and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program called Rise. And it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.